where we're going to be for the, the second week. I hope you enjoyed that last week. I, I, I know I did. So that's, that's probably a good place to start. Isn't Romans just a wonderful book? It's good to be back. And Romans 5, the early parts of Romans 5 in particular, are just, just encouragement fuel. Um, what a special treat. There's a few times in the book of Romans, we said, where, where the Apostle Paul will stop. And rather than continue to share information with us, even though he's totally going to do that too, he can't help himself. Um, he's also going to just, just revel, just delight in how wonderful the things, the truths that he is unfolding for us are and their implications. And this is one such passage. In Romans 5, 1 to 11, um, Paul has just stopped, having convinced us, having laid out his case and made it crystal clear, both from the Bible and from um, the events that have just happened in the death and resurrection of Jesus. He has laid out for us the case that justification is by faith, that we are reconciled to God by faith. And now he is stopping to just go, do you realize... <laughs> that if this is true, it has some implications, and each and every one of them is outstandingly wonderful. And so we have this 11 verses of sheer delight as, as we kind of try and let our hearts catch up with our head. Uh, if God is really willing to reconcile with us through nothing but faith, through grace alone, through the sending of His Son to die in our place and for our sins, if all of this is true, and it is, brothers and sisters, if all of this is true, do you realize just how far and wide and deep the, the reaches of this truth are into the life that we live every day? We pulled out from Romans 5, 1 to 11, six implications of this. Um, but why don't I read the passage and then I'll, I'll tell you my summary, just to get it all fresh in our mind. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and in character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Fire. All of these things are true on the basis of one thing. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Because salvation is by grace and through faith and not by works, all of these things are true. If salvation was by works, none of these things would be true. All of these things are the, are the, the, the branches on a tree that has its roots in justification by faith. Because salvation is through faith in Jesus, in his death and his resurrection, all of these things are yours if you are in Christ, how precious, like a master jeweler displaying his finest gems to be perused, we pull them out. We have, because of Jesus, 
peace with God, standing in grace, a rejoicing in the hope of glory, of the glory of God. That's how far we got last week when we looked at this passage. And this week we'll learn what it means to have a rejoicing in sufferings, an elevated security and assurance, and a rejoicing in God himself as ones who have been reconciled. So last week we ended on a theme, or we, 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 we perused a theme of joy. What we heard was that because of Jesus, because justification is by faith, we have a rejoicing in a future hope. The hope that we will be like God, that the glory of God will be shared with us. That theme of hope uh, so that thing of, theme of joy comes up again for us. That joy theme is, is here present, but this time in a much stranger context. Because salvation is by faith, we have a rejoicing in our sufferings, claims the Apostle Paul. I think my least favorite parts of the Bible <laughs> are the parts where they talk like this. It's difficult to get your head around, isn't it, that we would have rejoicing in our sufferings. Anyone who's suffering sits there and thinks to themselves, this is no joy. What on earth are they talking about? And yet, when I think like that, I'm wrong. (laughs) Uh, This word is here for our benefit. There is really something that changes the nature of Christian suffering, which comes to us through the cross of Christ, and we need to know it. A rejoicing in suffering. It sounds insane, doesn't it? Who rejoices in suffering? Aren't they like mutually exclusive things? I rejoice when I'm not suffering, and when I am suffering, my rejoicing is gone. That, that, that makes sense to us. Anyone who's, who's, who's been through that ringer recently, or is currently going through it, or has someone who they love who is currently going through it, don't we know suffering is the great joy thief? How could this possibly be true? Rejoicing in suffering. What's he on about? Like, when we look at, what's he, what's, what's he trying to say? When we look at wider culture, when we, when we look at unbelieving culture, how, does, how, does, how do those around us cope with, with suffering and pain and death? Sometimes, I think, what we do is we, we, we attempt to cope with suffering by accepting it as a friend. Do you know what I'm talking about? We, we, we try and find ways of, of accepting suffering as being sort of necessary or for our benefit. Is that what we're being told to do? Like, there's two examples I can think of just from, from popular culture, right? Two, two movies where this theme comes up. Has anyone seen that movie? It's, it's a little bit old now, the Inside Out, the Pixar movie. I can't mention the movie without just sort of saying it's quickly time for us to just pull one out for my boy Bing Bong, right? Rip. I'm still grieving. This, this movie tells the story of the emotions living inside a little girl's head. It's a bit meta for a kids' film, to be honest. It sort of it gets a bit. It's got some themes. Um, two of the main characters in the film are joy and sadness. The emotions living inside this girl's head. And the big conclusion of the film, the big finale, the big the big moral lesson that Inside Out has to teach us is that joy and sadness make friends and work together for the benefit of the person that they live inside. That's that you see. It's acceptance. It's what is point of sadness? It's there to protect you and to help you in life. It's it's a friend is the claim of Inside Out. Uh, Another one, the the Harry Potter um, series, 
talks about these deathly hallows. For those of you who aren't into it, it's, it's, it's getting older now. Some old wizard invents some magical artifacts that, that make him immortal. And it, this, this story is so old it's become mythological. And when they tell the story of these, these deathly hallows, the story ends with the wizard who had made himself immortal deciding that it was time to die and greeting death as a friend. And sort of the, the lesson of this story is that death comes for us all, that we'd, we'd best be at peace with it. That's acceptance, right? That, that, that sadness and death would be friends, necessary, helpful things for us to acclimatize to. Those both show a common approach to death and suffering, which is acceptance, but the biblical view of both death and suffering is different. That is not what the Apostle Paul is telling us to do when he says that we have joy in our sufferings. The biblical view tells us, like, you, you read the book of Revelation, and what we see is that one day both crying and death will be no more. For the old order of things has passed away. We don't greet them as friends. They are our last enemies to be destroyed. They are not a part of the world that God created. Neither crying and pain nor death and suffering have any place in the kingdom of God. That is not your forever home if you are in Christ. They are going away. They aren't our friends. They're a travesty. They exist now because of the fall. And we are right to hope for better. Our joy in suffering does not come from accepting suffering. That is not the Christian hope. God has promised a day when both will be removed forever. We don't accept um, suffering as normal. We don't rejoice that we are suffering. That's insane. We rejoice in suffering, during suffering, in the midst of suffering, whilst suffering. Suffering and joy are compatible because salvation is through faith. Another way to say it is that suffering can no longer ultimately take our joy. Who is it? Go on. <laughs> Why? Why is it that suffering can't take our joy? Because, specifically because, we have been justified by faith. If you lose salvation by faith, you lose the rejoicing in suffering. The two are connected. That's the argument. If you lose salvation by faith, you lose rejoicing in suffering. All suffer. Those who have been reconciled to God and those who have not suffer. But only those who have been reconciled to God through the Son know this kind of joy in suffering, during suffering, whilst suffering. Paul goes on to outline for us a process that the justified person will experience in the middle of suffering, which leads to joy. And this is the process that he outlines. Why don't we take a look? It starts at verse 3. Not only that, he says, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the process that suffering will bring into your life 
as the redeemed. Suffering will lead to endurance, specifically in faith. For the person of faith, suffering leads to a growth in enduring faith. It is the refining fire in which faith is made stronger. I know what you're thinking. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that. It is the testing of your faith. It doesn't feel like you are growing in endurance, but ask any athlete on the planet. I mean, you've got to talk about the Olympics, don't you? How do you grow in stamina? How do you grow in endurance? (laughs) By suffering, unfortunately. Your faith is made stronger through suffering. And that endurance becomes character. Watch. Watch as the process that you, the deep waters that God is allowing you to be dragged through, cause your faith to grow and mature and dig its roots in deeper than it ever would have were it not for the suffering that you find yourself walking through. Suddenly, who you are has been transformed. Your character has changed. Your person has matured. And character becomes hope. Hope that it's true. That you really do belong to Him. That you really have been reconciled to Him. That He really is for you and He's not going to leave you or forsake you. Hope that this salvation by faith thing really has worked and you have been reconciled to God. You feel it? Because when we see that character grow in us, we realize a thing. I have the Holy Spirit. He lives in me. I'm His. Joy. We have joy in our sufferings. Because Satan threw the best that he had at you. And you didn't curse God. And someone who was not a person of faith would have. You (laughs) white-knuckled, gripped onto him and closed your eyes and just waited. And your faith endured. And more importantly than your grip on him, he held onto you throughout the whole storm. He is with you. And he is not going to leave you. He stayed with you. He sustained you. And now on the other side of suffering, you have an increased confidence that you are his and it is working. And so you look back on your suffering with gratefulness. Not joy that you suffered, but joy in the midst of suffering. Your suffering is redeemed through faith in Jesus. All suffer. Not all experience the joy of suffering in faith. Brothers and sisters, we're not called to enjoy suffering. But if you enjoy God, know that God redeems your suffering and cling to that joy-filled hope and let it give you strength now whilst you are suffering. Did, did, you, did you wake up today and just think, ah, just really hoped that wouldn't happen? Did, did you have that sense of, of, of dread-filled foreboding that we've got to do this again today? Lift your eyes up 
and see what the Lord is doing in you through this time and realize it is not in vain. There is not a second of your pain that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to waste. All of it, all of it will be used to prepare you for the eternity of heaven that you are going to have with him. It is working. It is working even now. Death has lost its sting. Allow this to give you the strength to endure. Here's some homework for you. This is where you are today. Find some time soon, today even, before the sun goes down, to reflect, to to have a cup of tea. That's as long as it will take. And ask yourself, how has God been growing me through this? Have I realized what this means? I am his. Allow that knowledge to give you the strength to endure. We have joy in our suffering because salvation is by faith in him. And hope does not disappoint when it is in him. Here's the next thing that we have. Because salvation is by faith, we have an elevated security and assurance. An elevated security and assurance. Do you know what I mean by these? Because salvation is by faith, we know as a matter of certainty where we stand with God and where we will stand with God. We, we, we have a certainty and, a, and, an, and an assurance. If salvation was by works, we would not have this assurance. And therefore, we would have no security. But because salvation is by faith, we have this assurance. Assurance matters, by the way. Stop and think about it right now. Do you know that God accepts you? Are you certain of it? Do you have that assurance? Do you know if you have been saved? For many people, many, many people, and if this is you, you are not alone. We wrestle with guilt or a a too low view of ourselves, a, a lower view than God's view of us. For many people, we struggle to believe that God can accept me. It's a wrestle. I'm going to leave him. He's going to leave me. They, they live under this constant sense of condemnation even though they are a person of faith. The Apostle John wrote to us to tell us that we can know that we have eternal life. We can know that we have eternal life. One of the fruits of salvation by faith and not by works is that it makes that kind of certainty possible. It is specifically because salvation is by faith that we can know that we have eternal life and that knowledge gives us the weapons by which we fight against doubt. All will experience doubt. Was it C.S. Lewis who said there's two kinds of people who will experience doubt? The sane and those who have an intellect akin to that of a fridge freezer. Something like that. We have an enemy. The devil accuses us. He is a liar. He is a very talented liar. He loves to tell the children of God that they are not the children of God. That's what liars do. They lie. When he lies, Jesus tells us he's speaking out of his own 
nature. He will whisper this doubt to you and to combat this lie. We have the wonderful promises of God. We can have assurance. We can know that we have eternal life. And when you're in that moment of doubt-filled wrestle, Satan will protest, but you are a sinner. How can God accept someone like you? I saw what you did when no one else was looking, and you know what you did when no one else was looking. How could you claim to be a child of God? Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the ungodly. How does Satan's accusing me of being ungodly mean that he didn't die for me? It doesn't stick. You're a sinner. How could God love you? That's the only kind of person that God loves. That doesn't disqualify me. Christ died for the ungodly. I make the grade. I'm ungodly. I qualify. The only kind of person he died for was undeserving. Yes, he calls me to repentance. It matters. But repentance follows on after faith. Faith first, then repentance. It is because justification is by faith that we have this assurance. If I have the faith, I have the promise. He died for me. It does not depend on my godliness. He died for the ungodly. That can mean you. This, this contrasts Jesus with what we are like, doesn't it? Perhaps that's part of what makes it so hard to believe, so easy to believe the lie. I love people who love me. I can be generous to a generous person. I know that's going to pay dividends. But God loves us when we are undeserving. Jesus died for the ungodly. Romans 5, 7 and 8. For one, one of us would scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. You know who I picture when I read this? It's like I picture those people who are like the bodyguards for world leaders whose job is to like jump in front of the bullet. It's an Iron Man style, except it's not going to end like an Iron Man movie if you do that. Right? You've got to be pretty committed if that's your job. Right? You've got to have a pretty high view of the person who you have decided to lay down your life to protect. Can you imagine being the bodyguard of someone you didn't like? Like, how, how discouraging that job would be. It's like, am I going to do it? I don't know. I'm pretty sure there's a vetting process to make sure that that's the thing that's going to happen. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm going to read that again. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Are you a sinner? It does not mean that Christ has forgotten you. This has an implication for our assurance, which he goes on to tell us in verses 9 and 10. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Do you see he's holding out two things to us and asking us to examine their implications. And on this side, we have his death, his blood. In verse 9, 
We have been justified by His blood. In verse 10, whilst we were His enemies, we were reconciled by His death. If the death of Jesus has resulted in your being justified and your being reconciled to God, now that He is no longer dead, what is He going to do for you, His children? If it is His death and His blood which brings justification and reconciliation, then His life will bring what? He will save you from the wrath of God. Much more, now that we are reconciled, verse 10, shall we be saved by His life. If in the now, I can know that He died for me as a sinner, that I am welcome to begin the life of faith today because of this, I can be certain that in the future, I will also be accepted. This is, this is the weapon against doubt. If God can love me and give Himself to me and for me whilst I am His enemy, then I can absolutely be certain that now that I have been reconciled to Him and now that I am His child, He will accept me forever. My future assurance is tied not to only the death of Christ, but also the life of Christ. As long as Christ lives, I am safe and He lives forever. Death no longer has mastery over Him. My assurance, my confidence, my knowledge that my faith will endure doesn't come from me. It comes from Him. But you are a sinner. I know. But He isn't. And He lives forever. And He is for me. Isn't that comparison so helpful? If we've been saved by His death, what is His life going to do? Brothers and sisters, we are, we are not saved by our deserving. We are saved by the one whom our faith is in. And he is worthy. Tell me, doubting one. Tell me. You who thinks that Christ cannot rescue you. Who finds certainty evasive. What answer could you possibly have to undermine this hope? Justify your doubts to me. If you are in Christ... Know that you have eternal life. If you are cut off from Christ still, you do not have his salvation and you do not have his eternal life. It all depends on this and nothing more. Are you in Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? And then you must depend on it. God accepts you if you are. And more than that, Not only does God accept you, God will continue to accept you. He will not change his mind. Christ is not going to suddenly realize one day that you are a sinner and become uncrucified on your behalf. In him, there is redemption, the forgiveness of sinners. Because salvation is by faith, we have assurance that we have been accepted by God. You got energy for one more? There's one more. We've got to do it. Because salvation is by faith, we have another kind of joy, another rejoicing, this time in God himself, as those who have been reconciled. This is the crown jewel. This this is the most important thing that we've read in the last two weeks. This is is the the pinnacle. This is the, the summit of the mountain. Because salvation is by faith, 
I am free now to delight in God. I have joy in God himself. This is what it says in verse 11. More than that. You feel that? As if those last five things that we just spoke about weren't significant enough. Think, like, think about what we are now contrasting this against. <laughs> we have peace with God. We have joy in our future hope. What was the third one? I can't remember. Help me out here. Nobody can do it. We have a standing in grace. Thank you. We have joy in our sufferings. We have assurance. And more than that. More than that? What could be better than that? (laughs) That sounds pretty good. But more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation before we heard that we have received peace with God, but now more than just peace, we have received reconciliation. The relationship has been mended. Not, Not only do we stand at peace, we stand as friends. Here is the source of our joy. Our joy is not in salvation itself, not in the gift, but in the giver of the gift. Ultimately, our joy is that we rejoice, we have joy in God himself. We rejoice in God. The source of our joy is a person to whom we have now been reconciled. We are not just saved from his wrath, but we have been reconciled and we have him. This is our joy. To know him. Yes, there is joy to be had in the midst of suffering. Yes, there is a joy to be had in looking forward to our future home and our future state of being. But these are the lesser joys that flow from our ultimate joy. And our ultimate joy is that we would know him and be known by him and walk with him as those who have been reconciled. Jesus told us that we can't serve two masters. We will love the one and hate the other. You love the one you serve. Or perhaps a better way to say it is you serve the one you love. Having been reconciled to God, we we see him for who he is and we realize there is no other, only he will do. Again, Jesus told us a parable. He said to us that the kingdom of God is like a man who finds a treasure in a field, who then, hear this, in his joy, sells all that he owns in order that he might buy the field and gain the treasure. The joy of knowing God is the motivator of the entire Christian life. That treasure in the field isn't salvation. It's God himself. That we would have him means that we could gladly lose all other things as long as we get him. Which is the very thing that makes it impossible for suffering to steal our joy. Suffering can't take him from you. You can have him while you suffer. If you have no idea what I'm speaking about, if your concept of faith doesn't have any any kind of resemblance to this, your love will grow cold and your faith will die. 
There are many sacrifices in the life of faith. Have you noticed? We lose a lot. We, we, like Salvation is by faith. It makes it sound like it's free, but it's kind of like, no, nah, it's a bit of a stitch up, right? There's no cost at the front door other than your everything gets handed over to Jesus as Lord and Savior. There are so many sacrifices. We have to lose our life into the hands of our Savior. And once those things are in his hands, they're not mine anymore. I am no longer the master of my own destiny if I'm in Christ. I never really was, but I thought I was. That's a steep cost to pay. I have lost my autonomy into the hands of the Lord and Savior. I can no longer do what I want. I was bought at a price. I have laid it down and surrendered it in order that I might gain Him. That is a steep cost to pay. And if we're going to be asked to pay a cost like that, what's the reward? It's going to have to be a good one, right? What could be worth losing that? Losing myself. God knows us. And he knows that we need an answer to that obvious question. Isn't it amazing that God doesn't say, how dare you even ask a question like that, you ingrates? That's not what he says. He could. No, rather he meets that question and answers it completely. The reward is me. And I'm worth it. He doesn't tell us off for being selfish. He entices us with the promise of eternal joy. You get him. And he is worth it. He is so precious. In his presence pleasures forevermore to such a degree that if you were to lose all and only gain him, you would only gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is because salvation is by faith. You get him. How, how wonderful must he be for that to be true? Yet he is. Every, every delight that you have ever experienced in this world, every moment of genuine, pure joy that you have ever felt, only exists as an overflow of his nature and his grace towards you. He not only invented you, but he designed you for this joy and intends to share it with his children forever. He grieves over those who would not have it even as he judges them. Because we have been reconciled to him, we have joy in him. And we know we have this joy. We can experience this joy because salvation is by faith. Brothers and sisters, all of these gems are precious. All six of them. And they all come to us from the same source, specifically we have them because we have been justified by faith. It's a lot to take in. I know, I know that it is. And yet perhaps this week there is one that stands out more loudly than the others. One that has a greater power to encourage you. 
or to call you or to transform you. One where you felt, even as we spoke about it this morning, last week, the Holy Spirit provoking you to consider how it is that you might have more of this God in your life today. I can only encourage you to say, let him in. <laughs> let him do the thing that he has promised to do. His every intention towards you is good and for your benefit and his glory. When has he ever wronged us or led us astray? When has he ever failed to deliver on his promises? Trust him and allow this salvation by faith to have its full effect in you. Let's pray. Lord, we are short-sighted creatures. We get distracted. The, the mountains out of molehills is in our nature. The present sufferings of this time cloud our eyes to the point where we can't see the eternal not suffering with you. The fleeting pleasures and joys of this world compete with the higher joy that I was designed for. Lord, sin makes promises that it can't deliver on. It tells me that if I could only have this, if I could only do this, then I would be happy. And Lord, in pursuing those things instead of you, we find destruction. Lord, you alone can deliver on what you promise. You alone can be my highest joy. Teach my heart to believe this, O Lord. Help me to delight in you above all else. Let me experience it even now, even on my darkest day, Lord, give this to me, that I would know you and delight in you. Sustain me until I see you face to face. And I can pray this prayer in confidence, knowing that you will, because I stand with you by faith alone, that Jesus has won, and that I am his and he is mine. Thank you for that assurance. Would it have its full effect in me? In his name we pray. Amen.